0: Hello and welcome back to Quality Dairy Sports Radio. I am your host, Ryan Dairy. This is episode number four. Quite a bit to talk about this week. We have Michigan football winning again and a bunch of other drama going on in the program. Lions did not look good the other yesterday against Baltimore. Um, some post-season baseball has been a really good series. And uh, the Red Wings are on a five-game uh, winning streak. So lot to get to. We will uh, start today with some Michigan football. So this past Saturday it was the rivalry game against little brother Michigan State and uh, Michigan came out, dominated the game in every facet, won 49-0 like I thought they would. Thankfully right at the end, last second touchdown gave me the over for the game so I won my bet as well. But, yeah, dominated the game, 49-0. J.J. McCarthy in the game was 21 of 27 for 287 and four touchdowns. He has now cemented himself as a top candidate for the Heisman as other people have fallen out. So another dominant win for Michigan, which I knew was coming. The big thing happened this week off the field. The NCAA, which is a joke in and in, in, of itself, Uh, came out and said that they are investigating Michigan for stealing signs. So that was all over the news this entire week about them. And what it was is supposedly a staffer from Michigan went to another team to upcoming opponents games. Which, yes, when you say that out loud is the most ridiculous, absurd thing you can think of that that would be against the rules because this happens in every sport at every level from high school up to the pros. You go and scout teams before you play them. But apparently in the nineties, in the nineties, when you were looking at VHS tapes, they put this rule in and now 30 years later, they're deciding to bring it out and go after Jim Harbaugh. That's what this is all about. It's all about Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, Earlier in the year, over the buying the kid a cheeseburger scandal, basically said, fuck you to the NCAA. Self-imposed, a three-game suspension on themselves, said, we're not cooperating. I didn't know that you had to indict yourself. I guess the NCAA is a different organization where you are supposed to tattle on yourself compared to everything else, but... But the NCAA got pissed off about uh, Harbaugh not playing ball, not playing along with them and their bullshit, and uh, they must have put all their people on it trying to dig up something, some obscure thing to get uh, Harbaugh and Michigan on. Because I can tell you right now, there are multiple teams in college football doing the same thing, and they don't want to admit it, but... There are a lot of teams doing this. It's not just one of these one-time-off things. And the whole thing about stealing signs, you're advanced scouting. It's like you're watching your opponent play. And the stealing sign stuff, you can do that from TV. The amount of times they show the sidelines during a game on TV for millions of people to see with what the uh, guys on the side are, however they're moving their arms or the signs that are up, telling the players what the play is, like you can do that all from the TV. So just because a gay attended a game in person is one of the most archaic things I've ever heard of. Now will the NCAA find anything on this? Who knows? The NCAA is pretty much a joke. You can see with the uh, self Bill Self thing at Kansas, they had those five level one things from six years ago that they were going after him on and After the entire investigation, what, six years later, they basically are put on probation, couldn't find anything. So it'll be interesting to see what they find, actual evidence, evidence of Michigan. They basically, the N.C.A. put this out this week to put Michigan in a bad light and Jim Harbaugh in a bad light. Because right now, every single person is saying they're guilty. It's like in today's day and age, there is no innocent until proven guilty. It is you are guilty and prove us innocent. And that's what this is all about. It's all about going after Jim Harbaugh and going after Michigan because he doesn't want to play ball with the NCAA, which is, like I said, a joke that has to have their entire... If they want to stay around, they need to rewrite their entire rules in existence. Having something in from 1994 when you were watching a tape on VHS to scout your opponents, when nowadays you can watch where nowadays millions of people at home can scout your team every week in real time while they're watching from their couch. Also, the nil and transfer portal, once that became established, completely changed the entire landscape. We're still going after these people for illegal benefits from years ago before it. All that stuff now that happened before, the Reggie Bush stuff and Hell, all the way back to goddamn SMU, way, way back in the day getting the death penalty. Nowadays, that doesn't matter. Nil is legal. You can pay players for name, image, likeness. Players can transfer without being, uh, penalized for it. So, the NCAA rulebook really needs to be, uh, updated. But, will that ever happen? No, it won't, because the NCAA, uh is hanging on by a thread. They're doing everything to not uh, lose it. There's always been talk, especially the last few years, about what ha- would happen if the all the big schools said, you know what, we're not going to play by their games anymore. What would happen to the NCAA? I mean, they would fold. The amount of money the NCAA makes off all the Power 5 schools, especially off of them in college football, and college basketball especially the tournament and now coming up with the playoffs expanding to 12 teams the amount they're going to make off the college football playoff it's like the ncaa has lost all their power once nil and the transfer portal started happening and they're grasping at straws and sooner or later they're going to push too far and one of these big time programs is going to say we don't need you anymore And all the other programs are going to look around at themselves and say, no, we don't need you either. Maybe for other sports, maybe for other things, but they're going to say, no, we don't need you. And they're going to form their own big time, their own uh, league or conference or uh, committee, and they'll have their own rules and their own standards in place. And all the TV networks are going to go along with them because they are what bring in the money, the big name school brands and the NCAA isn't going to exist anymore. So that's what the NCAA is trying to avoid and they're just keep pushing it in that direction every time they come up with these dumb at uh these dumb findings over NCAA violations or whatever, which nowadays like you said everyone thinks it's a joke nowadays. When and it's all it is is fuel for people who hate that particular team or program. You know, it's like if it wasn't Michigan before. It's teams in basketball like Kansas or Memphis back in the day, or whoever it is. It's all about getting bad publicity, bad news for the team because most of the time, nothing comes out of it. So that was put out this week, over the, to sort of shed light on that. Michigan, Michigan came out and from the opening snap dominated the game and basically told people to fuck off they are one of the best teams in the country and this whole bullshit about oh they've had an easy schedule and their schedule's weak it's like the Big Ten sucks the Big Ten sucks this year it's like why does uh, Florida State not get punished for playing in the ACC who are the good teams in the ACC Duke and North Carolina who lost this week that's it. Two good teams in the ACC. Just like two good te- three good teams in the uh, Big Ten, it would be Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. The ACC would be the same way. Florida State, uh, North Carolina, Duke. Clemson's out of it. They're a shell themselves. Same conference. But because Florida State won the one game early on in the season, it makes everything better. They played nobody's ever since, and then Michigan's schedule coming up, they got they go to Penn State. They have Ohio State at home, which they are going to win those games. But the one thing that good teams do do when they play bad opponents is dominate them, don't make it a game, and blow them out. And that's what Michigan's done the entire time. You can only play who's in front of you, and when and in two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, next week is a bye for Michigan. They're off. They play Purdue. Then when they go to Penn State and win that game by 35, 40 points, maybe people will shut up. They won't. They'll have to wait until the end of the year, that final game against Ohio State, win that game by 35, 40 before people really actually start taking a look at them. But all around they are, to me, they're the best team in the country. And the reason it makes they make it is J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy, last year, could not do what he's doing this year. Last year, the amount of open receivers that he missed, especially on the deep balls, you could tell that they just weren't quite there yet. This year, his uh, accuracy or whatever completion percentage is in the 70s, only top in the country. So he said, after this game, he's uh up there now as a Heisman favorite. He keeps playing this way. He'll definitely be sitting there at the end. But uh yeah. Michigan continues to dominate. Next week's a bye. And then they have Purdue at home before they go and do their everyone's big thing, their big road test at Penn State. Penn State's garbage. They lost to Ohio State again. They can never beat. Ohio State and Michigan James Franklin still has a job. I guess I guess going 10 and 2 every year is the acceptable thing at Penn State cuz those are the two teams they can never beat. They can't beat Michigan and Ohio State. Maybe if they beat one, they definitely can't beat two of them. He had one good year with Saquon Barkley when they were there. Otherwise, he hasn't done shit. So, it's surprising that James Franklin's still the coach there. But that's for another day. But uh yeah, Michigan, dominate once again, bye week this week, rest up. I mean, even though they're starters, once again, fourth quarter did not play. I mean, if you think about that, too, about the Heisman and McCarthy, we've played eight games. I think in seven of the eight games, the starters have not played the fourth quarter. That's two full games of football. That's two full games of less wear and tear on your body. That's two full game two full less games of stats. So it hurts it helps you in one way, hurts you in the other. But you know what? It's all about winning that national championship this year. It's championship or bust this year. This is the one year they have before next year when the entire team goes to the NFL draft. So this is what it's all about this year. So keep doing what we're doing. Penns or Purdue in two weeks. Take care of that game. But, uh, yeah, so that's my thoughts on the whole Michigan crap situation going on, especially the NCAA stuff. Yesterday, or on Sunday, the Lions went to Baltimore, take on the Ravens, and it was a bad game from the start. The Lions got their ass kicked every way, defense, offense. No one could do anything. After seeing it, I mean, sometimes it's good to <clears throat> to have a to have a game like this and wake you up. But you know, it's like every team though once or twice a year usually has a game like this. Even the good teams. You know, it's like a couple weeks ago, Miami went up to uh, Buffalo and got the doors blown off. It's like one. I didn't think we were going to win out the rest of the year. The beginning of the year, I thought we would go thirteen and four. Right now, we're five and two going in next week against Monday Night Football. We win that. We're 6-2 and two at the halfway point. We're right on track. But, yeah, every uh, facet of the game, Baltimore just dominated us in. That first half, we could not stop anything. I mean, it was 28-0 before you knew it, and that was a game. But we will uh, take that ass-kicking, go back to work. We have... The Raiders coming up on Monday night football at home. Finally back home. After being on the road the last two weeks, which first of our four of our first uh seven games have been on the road. We won three of the four. That's a pretty good start to the year. Now we go back home. We won at Kansas City, at Green Bay, at Tampa. To think we were gonna go undefeated on the road this year. And Baltimore Baltimore, they haven't looked great this year, but yesterday they put it all together. So they kicked our ass, but we're 5-2. and two. Like I said, this is an upcoming week. We have Monday Night Football at home. The place is going to be rocking. The Raiders do not look good. Jimmy G's hurt. They just lost to the Bears to a Bears backup quarterback. So we win that game, which I think we will, and I think we will pretty easily. We'll get back on track. We will be going into our bye week at six and two, halfway through the year. That's a hell of a start. We're right there, six and two, on our way to, like I said before the season, thirteen and four, which would be probably third win our division. So we're right there on track. I don't put too much into this loss. Like I said, if it, if we if it was uh, we were making mistakes and stuff, we just we just didn't show up this game, you know defensively, offensively, we couldn't do anything anywhere, so I it was more of a wake-up-call game, more of a just-didn't-show-up game than a problematic game to me, so I think we'll get back on track, we'll beat the Raiders by two touchdowns, seven, 14, maybe 17 points, but we'll get back on track with that, going to our bye week at 6-2, and two. looking good for the second half of the year. Now let's get into a team that did win this weekend and is on a hot streak, the Detroit Red Wings. We are in a five-game win streak. We are 5-1, and one, lost our opener to New Jersey, but then after that we rattled off five straight wins. This week we played Pittsburgh, Ottawa, and uh, Calgary. So, uh, yeah, on Wednesday night, we played Pittsburgh at home. Petrie was in the lineup. Overhaul. You know how I feel about Petrie. I think he should be out, but he was in lineup overhaul. First period, Malkin started the game off with a goal. Put the Pittsburgh up 1 0. Later in that period, to brink it, tied it up with a goal 1 1. And the second, Schrott scored. gets up 2 1. Cop scored, get us up 3-1. Perron had a power play goal to get us up 4-1, so 4-1 going into the third. In the third, we sort of became lackadaisical, decided that we just wanted to play defense the entire uh, third period, which is not a way to play hockey because you're just giving the other team a ton of ammunition and offensive zone time to fire the puck and score. So in the third period... Carlson for Pittsburgh scored, made it 4-2. Russ scored, made it 4-3, so it got tight there for a minute. And then at the end, we had to hang on. cop scored an empty netter at 5-3 to put us up, and then to brink it 6-3, empty net power play goal at the end of the game also. So beat Pittsburgh. Team that I hate, still hate to this day, with Crosby, Malkin, so it's always nice to get a win over them like i said we looked good the first two periods looked really good and then in the third period we sort of got settled in didn't decide to have much offensive zone time Didn't want to just sit back play defense but in the end we uh we pulled it out got a 6-3 win over them and uh yeah pretty good game uh one no andrew cop had a penalty shot in that game missed it again in back to back games he had a penalty shot couldn't do it man if i was a coach in practice that next day i would just have him say, i would have him skip team stuff i would say listen you're practicing shootout you're practicing penalty shot it's like you don't get many of those in a season you got to make one, one of them you know but Anyways, good to be Pittsburgh all the time, crying crosby Malkin all those all those players next up was the big game that I was looking forward to. I thought was gonna really show us where we stood this year, at least early on Saturday against Ottawa, so I guess. Uh, Costin got nicked up in uh, practice the day before, whatever. So for Saturday's game, we went with 11 and 7. Not ideal for us because defense is sort of our Achilles' heel a little bit. But when 11 and 7 on Saturday. Bergeron got uh emergency call up, even though he didn't play. But first period against Ottawa. Sanderson started it out for them with a power play goal, put them up 1-0. Gossespare tied it up with a power play goal, got us to 1-1 at the end of the first. Valeno in the second, scored, gave us a 2-1 lead. Peron added another power play goal to give us a 3-1 lead. Going into the third period, in the third, Larkin got a power play goal, put us up 4-1. Valeno showed up this game, got us another goal, to five to one his second goal of the game and then to end out the scoring for that great uh game Greg for uh Ottawa scored a goal eight for them to get a five two game but it was a big it was a big test for us. Last year Ottawa especially in like February March we played them back to back and Ottawa kicked our ass out physicaled us did everything they wanted to do and that was really the turning point of our season last year of even though we weren't we were in contention for a wild card spot we weren't going to get there last year but the Ottawa two ottawa games basically cemented that and showed us where we were with this game on saturday one ottawa did not push us around we stood up to them they weren't uh they tried to do some shady shit with brady kachuk of course Goddamn agitator that he is. Tried to get and rile people up and get some penalties on us and stuff like that. Did not, for the most part, go for it. So it was a good game. It was a good game. Good showing for us. Shows that we can play with them in the long run because this Ottawa team is basically the team you're going to see all year they're up against the cap. They can't even they can't sign a guy that's not playing right now, Shane Pinto, because they're so hard up against the cap. So, they ain't going to be able to make no moves at uh at free uh trade deadline to bolster this team. Basically, who this team is is who they're going to be the entire year. So, to go against this team the team that we're going to see all year and do what we did on the road especially showed me that this team this team's different than last year especially. And that we have a chance now. We have a chance to push for that final wild card spot. We really do. One other thing from this game, the refereeing was garbage both ways. Bad calls after bad call on both teams. There was maybe three or four legitimate penalties, and I think there were tripping calls. Otherwise, it was a lot of bullshit both ways. The refs in that game were really bad. Also, uh, for that game, we heard that Robbie Fabry was put on IR. So he's going to miss at least four weeks, they're saying now. It went from day to day now to four weeks. Like I've said, I think it's just time we have to move on. You know, it's like put Fabry on long term IR, see if another team will take him. He's just, he can't stay healthy anymore. When he's on the ice, he's a good player, but he just can't stay healthy. And the way our lines are set right now with. Our top line of Larkin, Brinkett, Raymond, playing great. And then at second line, we have Kopp, Comfort, and Rasmussen. Those two lines are playing really good. So it, I don't know where Faber would fit back in when he came, when he would come back in a few weeks. Those two top lines I have a lot of faith in. Playing really well. Like I said, the experiment is over. He's just, He's just not going to be able to stay healthy anymore. We've seen it now for the last few years. It's just time we have to you just have to move on. you just do, and I think he would understand it too well, maybe not, but I would hope he would, but yeah, tough break for him and for us, but I sort of knew going into the season that you're gonna if he plays he's playing twenty five thirty games max. he was gonna miss a lot of time he like said he's just injury prone now after all those ACL surgeries it's a lower body again so even though they say it doesn't have to do with the knee still for whatever reason his his time's about done so we got that big win on Saturday in Ottawa then we had a back to back thankfully we were at home against Calgary on Sunday we were back to 12 and 6 Petrie was out again, was sitting out. So I like that. I think that uh, Lalone finally sees that Petrie's the guy that sort of needs to be sitting out. But Berggren was in first period. Debrinket scored, got us up to 1 0. Valeno scored 2 0. Going in the second. Second period, Larkin got a goal 3 3 0. After that, Maggiapane to 3-1. Dabrinkit, another goal, 4-1. Sharangovic scored for the Flames, make it 4-2 going into the third. In the third, Walman scored, making it 5-2, and Dabrinkit then got a hat trick. Made it 6-3 to end the game. So Dabrinkit was first hat trick with Detroit, is on a hot streak along with all of our guys really scoring. But as I said, our, our our offense looks really good now. Even we didn't score in the power play in the Flames game, but our power play we had a lot of, a lot of good chances. The goalies and a couple Flames, a couple of Flames players made some big stops in front of the net, or we would have won by more. But our power play looks really good. The way we're moving the puck, the guys out there on it, I think that's something that is sustainable throughout the year. And our offense, I think our offense is sustainable. It's like, is DeBrincki going to score 100 goals this season? No. But Raymond is playing really well, even though he's not scoring. He's picking up assists. Larkin is playing really well, scoring goals and getting assists. Everyone is chipping in. The way our offense just looks in general, the movement of the puck is 10 times better than last year. So like, yes, when we play some of these tougher, more defensive teams, we'll have maybe a little more struggle. We're not going to score six goals a night, you know. But, however, our offense, especially on a power play, is something that I believe we can keep up throughout the entire season. So I do think that even, even though last year we were, I believe, 3-0-2 at this time, this team is remarkably different and remarkably better than last year's team. Last year, I could see the cr- the cracks of where they will get us. This year's team is much better defensively. I'm still hesitant about that it will bite us in the long run. However, offensively, it's something that can win us a lot of games, will put up goals, will score points. So I think we're in a good spot. With Petrie only playing... Two or one of the games, and that was because it was 11-7, I do think LaLone now sees that it's p- better to have Petrie out of the lineup than in. The When Ali Mata has now, once he got back in the lineup, has not sat back out, Ali Mata has played, played really well for us. Really solid on defense, which is all we need. You don't got to be offensive scorer. Just don't make mistakes. Clear the puck. Play good D. That's what he's done. The line of Mata and Gossespierre is playing really well together. I think that is now a solid line. So we have a solid line of Sider and Raymond as number one, which uh, has been. Mata and Gossespierre, which they do play the three line, but that line I think is now uh, solidified. Mata and Gossespierre play really well together. They complement each other. For all the stuff about Gossespierre being an offensive player, which he is, he has played enough and solid enough defense for us early on. I think that's something he can continue throughout the year. He doesn't have to be great. You know, he's, he's never going to be a shutdown guy. That's not his game. But just solid. That's all we need. Those two, I think, have now formed a really good pairing, and I think that's going to continue now throughout the year. So the last thing that Lalone has to figure out, and I think he's sort of coming to that conclusion, it's going to be a Sherratt and Hull. They've been. They played better this week. <clears throat> we'll give them credit. They played a lot better this week. I still believe. I still believe you have a top four guy, a top talent guy in Edmondson, in Grand Rapids that should be on this team, that should be playing over one of those two guys. However, at this point, they're playing better. I'll let them go. We'll see how it goes further in a year. We'll see if injuries happen, stuff like that. But if Lalone now keeps Sherratt and Hall together, they've been playing better, getting their feet under them. So I'm okay with it for right now. I still think in the long run, especially if we want to make that final push into a wild card spot and try and do anything in the playoffs, we definitely need Edmondson in there over one of those two guys. I would say right now Sherratt. I think Hall's playing a little better than Sherrod is. But they're both playing good enough right now that, okay, we'll wait it out and see. As long as he keeps Mata in the lineup for full for full time now with Goss I like that line. We have our top line. Hall and Sherrod, I think, can work out. So, like I said, playing a lot better. A lot better defensively this week. They're never going to be great with those guys. They're just not that type of player. Like I said, I still think Edvinson should be in there for one of them. But as for right now, I'm okay with it if he keeps it like this. Plays Petrie every, you know, three, four games just to keep him, uh, keep him in shape and feeling part of the team, fine. If he plays him against older, crappier teams, even better because, I don't want Petrie out there against the top, fast, young teams because he can't keep up. Even in the uh, one game he did play this week, he got a penalty again, hooking. The guy just went right around him. So if we can sort of keep this lineup right now, I think we're going to do some good stuff. We have Ottawa on Tuesday, or not Ottawa. We have Seattle on Tuesday this week, I know. That's the ga- That's the day that uh, every team in the NHL plays. They have the staggered start. They're going to do that uh, puck zone, basically the red zone for hockey on ESPN. So that'll be interesting and fun to watch. So Red Wings have a little later uh, puck drop in that game. But I think uh, that's about it for the Red Wings this week. I liked what I saw. I think this is sustainable throughout the year. I still don't think we're... we're great and compete with those top 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 tier teams but I do think we're good enough now to compete for that wild card spot and have a very legitimate chance of getting it Uh, a couple of uh, other things uh, in hockey this week that want to touch on one something that's a pet peeve of mine that I cannot stand players not being on sides at the blue line and costing your team a goal most of the time at the blue line when a guy's offsides it's because he got lazy and overskated slow down just a tiny bit extend your leg make sure you're on side because you god that is one of the most frustrating things there is is being offsides especially when you score a goal and it gets overturned it's like it's i get it you're going at full speed but it's more it's more important to get the puck into the zone than having that close of a call where it has to go to replay. And you see it in games all the time, and I think it's just laziness. I really do. Now, I can understand sometimes if the defenders in the way and the guy, you know, has to pull the puck back and it's way off sides, but a lot of times it's by, you know, a few inches. A few inches and the guy's skates are together. He's standing up. Extend your leg a little bit. Like you're professional Stay on sides It's one of the pet peeves of mine that I can't stand and I see it so much And it irritates me And if I was a coach I would hammer it into guys heads Because it's like that's a big thing Disallow A disallowed goal Can shift the game So a little pet peeve of mine uh, One team I want to talk a little about The Oilers Man do they look bad awful defense not really scoring as much as they did last year they only have one win on the season do I think still think there's time to turn around? Yes, but they can't get good at those spots they're bad in they're bad at goaltending and they're bad on defense you can't just magically fix those. Now McDavid is out for a week or two some kind of muscle thing I mean that team, that team if they if they really fall off, that team is a disappointment and a lot of people are getting fired. Holland as a GM, he uh he did not know how to build that team. He built it the wrong way. He really did. When you have those two superstars, those two top players in the world on one team and this is what you put out on the ice. Man, some bad contracts. Darnell Nurse making almost $10 million. Wow. Is that ever haunting him now? He didn't play great last year. He sort of got bumped down. This year, not playing great again. He's got the beginning of this contract, so. It's a problem up there in Edmonton right now. I do think they'll sort of figure it out. They have too much talent at the top end to just be irrelevant, but. Is this a Stanley Cup team? Heck no. I mean, is this still a playoff team? I think so. I think it's more of a wild card right now. I know we're only two weeks in, so we're super, super early, but the problems they have you can't just magically fix, and that's that's the big issue they have. You can't just magically fix goaltending. You can't just magically fix defense. So it'll be interesting to see going forward how far, how much more off they go. It's like their offense is going to have to get on a roll and really carry this team, just like they did last year. And those guys like Nugent Hopkins, who had over 100 points, Hyman, who really did really well, Kane, who should have a full season, not be out hurt, those guys are all going to have to step up with and really help out McDavid and Dreisaitl and really put up big uh, years and goals again to uh, to really push this team To still be in a playoff spot And one of the last things I want to touch on Watched a game last Tuesday Tampa Buffalo Tampa was in Buffalo And that stadium Was half full Buffalo The amount of hype they are getting About making a push for the playoffs this year All this young talent And all all this young talent That they have signed to long term deals And the fans don't show up. I mean, it was a half-empty arena. And I believe it was an ESPN game. I believe it was a showcase game. Man, that is pathetic. You can't... I don't care if it's a Tuesday. If you have a team that's that's supposedly going to be that good, the fans need to show up. You can't have a half-empty stadium... That's that's a that's a bad fan base. It's like you're not paying attention. So just wanted to touch on that. One last thing that I saw. Bad fan base there in Buffalo right now. Half empty stadium playing against a team like Tampa Bay, on a team that everyone is talking about to go to uh to push for a playoff spot with all this young talent. It's an interesting thing, but uh Okay. And last but not least for this week, baseball. We are in the championship series of each uh for each division for NL and AL. So, for uh where we are right now in the Astros Rangers game, Rangers went up 2-0, took the first two on the road in Houston. Houston comes back, wins three in a row on the road at the Rangers ballpark to take a three two lead. And then last night the Rangers come back and take a win nine to two, tie it up at three. and now tonight we have a game seven, a game seven, game seven in sports, game seven in the playoffs in that series game 5 you know it's like people talk about the playoffs and how much how much more intensified everything is in the playoffs you know it's like every sport when you get to the playoffs every second every little thing matters and in game 5 you had one of those playoff moments top 9 rangers are up 4 to 2 Houston gets two guys on, a two up at the plate and hits that three run home run. Like those are those playoff moments that just that make sports great. A top guy for their for his team who's been there the entire time, who's going down as one of the best playoff uh players in history right now, is up at the plate and hit's a big home run to put you up five four. That makes the deciding runs too to win that game, like those kind of moments in the playoffs, is what makes sports so good. Even uh last night, the Rangers were up, I think three to two, four to two. Eighth inning. Bases are loaded for Houston. And uh, the uh, it was a pitch hitter. Rangers closers in there, gets a strikeout. The base is loaded. Like, those kind of moments, that kind of big pressure situations is what makes playoffs good. And then the Rangers in the top of the nine, same situation. Base is loaded, nobody out. Or one out. Uh, Garcia hits the home run, grand slam to cement the game. That kind of intensity and stuff in, in the playoffs is what makes it great. Game seven now, I mean... Who doesn't love a Game 7 in sports, in the playoffs? It'll be interesting to see what happens. The Rangers are going to have to hope that somebody from their, I don't know if they're going to do a bullpen game or if their starter can try and hold on, not allow Houston's offense to get going because Evaldi last night was dealing once again, and Montgomery already pitched the day before, did really well. Those are the two guys who have been carrying him in the playoffs. Now they have to rely on everyone else. We'll see what happens. I think Houston would rather prefer that this game be played on the road because for whatever reason, Houston this year in general has been garbage at home, which is a weird thing. They've been way better on the road than at home. So it's gonna it be, should be a good game, should be a tight game, especially the way the last couple have gone. So I think it will come down to those last 8th and ninth inning again unless Houston gets to the Rangers super early I think he'll be d- tight down to the stretch and we'll see who takes it in the other series Arizona Philly Philly took the first two at home Arizona some great games in Arizona the first two in Arizona Arizona came back took game 3 and 4 sort of similar game 4 to game 5 Arizona was uh, down 5-3 bottom 8 Drove two guys in off Kimbrel, and then the other guy comes up to bat. I forget his name now. Hits the winning run-in. They win 6-5. to five. Man, that kind of stuff in the playoffs, like I said. That kind of intensity in those moments. So Arizona wins game 3 and 4. Phillies did come back with a pretty decisive game, one game, five. So Phillies now go home, try to close it out in 6, which... I think this one they will. I think Philly now going back home in that ballpark, those fans, they will close it out. So in six, I don't think this this series goes to seven like the Houston Rangers series. But, yeah, so I think Philly's going to be in. I don't know between Houston and uh, Texas. But either way, depending on who gets in against Philadelphia, uh, should be a really good World Series. A lot of offense, a lot of big-time hitters. I think it'll be a lot of home runs, so, I mean, we'll find out next week who's in, how the how the World Series has gone so far, but, uh, yeah, it's been some good stuff, some good playoff baseball to go on right now this time of year with everything else going on, but, yeah, that's about it for this week. Uh, not a whole lot for next week. Red Wings will be in action all week. We'll have baseball in action all week. Michigan's off, and then, uh the Lions play Monday Night Football, so they'll, they'll be talked about in two weeks as they go into their bye for when this podcast comes out. So next week will really only be uh, hockey and baseball, maybe a few other things I see, but just because of the timing of stuff. So, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, comment, like, subscribe on however you're watching. You know, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, however you're watching the podcast. Subscribe. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys next week.